very welcome along. It's the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio. Saturday morning, Porrick Horkin, good morning Good to morning, you. dear. Yeah, beautiful Saturday morning. It is. I was just thinking yesterday, you know, people are still, the farmers are still cutting the silage and we're nearly into October. I know. I, yeah. I, actually, now that you mention it, I did see a number of fields Quite in action yeah. uh, during the course of the week. So it's um, beautiful. It's great autumnal weather, isn't it? And I have to say, this morning, while I had to go back into the house to get a drop of hot water for the windscreen, <laughs> I think it's the first time, at least at this, <clears throat> on this side of the year, that I've had to do that. Um, it was it was lovely and dry and crisp, and there was kind of uh, that beautiful little bit of low-lying mist that you yeah. see across the countryside, which, you know, kind of around the six o'clock in the morning mark is really lovely uh, for about five minutes when you're inside <laughs> of the car looking out at it. But, yeah, it, there is a lovely sense of serenity, I think, about it when, you're, when you're up at that time of the morning. So uh, the day so, itself, not bad, at least according to that forecast. And the and high pressure remaining right through until next week. So that is going to bring those frosty nights. But obviously we get lovely dry weather then and great gardening weather, really superb gardening weather. I was up around Galway actually yesterday and it struck me driving back home, the number of trees that have been damaged, uh, both shrubs and trees and broadleaf trees and some conifers indeed, with that storm we had a week or ten days ago. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Ali, sorry. Ali, that was it. That was it. Yeah, and I have noticed even locally in gardens that there is particularly maybe the hedgerows and kind of those leafy sort of smaller trees. trees, Yeah. yeah. Uh, Quite a bit of wind burn. Yeah. So if people are... Kind of curling of leaves. Exactly. So if people are noticing browning on on, uh, foliage of plants, it tends to happen five or six days after we get that heavy stormy weather and that's all it is. It's It's just wind burn. Plants will come back from that they will start to drop their leaves in the next couple of weeks now and and uh, so on some trees you may not get that lovely autumn colour that we normally associate with this time of year but um, certainly a lot of scorching on plants and we'll probably see that uh, manifesting itself through the winter period on evergreen shrubs, on conifers and on evergreen shrubs, they tend to show the damage a little bit later um, so it's just something to keep an eye out for <clears throat> Uh, another thing I need to mention, dear, mm-hmm. is my, my apologies actually uh, to our listeners because I mentioned last week that we're going to have the, the uh, Gardenia Robotic Moor demonstration this weekend, but it's actually going to be on the 13th and 14th okay, of October. Okay, so a little change be, in schedule. Yeah, so for people that were heading down to Turlock um, for to see the Gardenia demo, that's going to be happening on the 13th and 14th of October. And next weekend, when I'm here, next Saturday, we'll actually have a great giveaway competition. Okay, we'll look forward to <clears> that. Perta- pertaining to the, the, the Gardenia Moor. So I've, hap- I've, I've uh, squeezed a robotic moor to give away on the show um, uh, next week. Uh, I would start the competi- competition next week so that just for, for listeners that are interested in the uh, robotic demo demonstration that's a free demo that's going to be happening on the 13th and 14th of October so it's it's two weekends away from, okay. from, from, from this well, weekend we'll be reminding people <clears throat> of that on the programme anyway uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah exactly I'm also giving a talk this Thursday um, the 4th of October in our centre in Castlebar in Turlock so I've been asked by one of the local groups to give a, a gardening talk an autumn gardening talk so it's I think it's very relevant and with the weather being so good. I'm going to be talking about gardening in the autumn Mm -hmm. and also gardening for bees uh, because as as we said a couple of weeks back, the honey uh, crop is in yeah. and uh, it's on sale in, in, in local shops and garden centres and so on at the moment and make sure you get that local honey honey from Ballyhonas or Claremorris or Ballina or Westport because it's it's full of goodness um, 
And, and actually rec- recent research is showing that honey, particularly from the ivy tree and also from the heather plant, is is very, very uh, beneficial. beneficial yeah. So that's a, a free talk this Thursday, the 4th of October uh, at 11am in our centre in Turlock. So if people want to learn about autumn gardening or they want some hints and tips, I have a very good slideshow that I'll be going through for about an hour. So that's between 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock in our centre in Turlock next Thursday. And you're including gardening for bees in that? I am, as part of that. Yeah, what people can do in relation to uh, what they can do at this time of year to help to bring in the bees for next year and, and, and all the plants that, that we associate with bees, how easy they are to grow, cool. which they are. They're very, very simple. Um, <clears throat> speaking about bees, yes. the West Awake Honey Show is actually going to take place. This is the Ballyhonus um, Beekeepers Club are putting together a honey show on the again on the 13th of October okay, so here in Ballyhonus yeah on the uh, in the Connacht GA Centre and uh, they've asked me to come along and speak so I'll be speaking at that as well so quite a number of speaking engagements coming up um, so I'm looking forward to that that uh, as well so it's maybe something for people's diary that's again the Saturday the 13th of October it's kicking off at 11 o'clock and um, there's lots of fun activities and the, the thing I like is they've involved the schools in particular um, in terms of getting the, the children to do uh, art competition pertaining to bees and wildlife and nature and I think it's great getting them in at that early stage and the Absolutely. guys are going to have lots of different varieties of honey for people to taste okay, on so the day. So that's so be like a honey tasting session. A session. There will indeed and lots of free talks. It's a free event and uh, I think it's going to be a great event. So we'll remind listeners of that next weekend and I'm looking forward to speaking at that. Uh, I think they've given me a slot in the afternoon. Okay, so on you're, on a bi- you're on a busy schedule that day. But yeah, so just to remind people again, to get covered. the Gardenia, that demo will be on the 13th, the 14th. Um, I'm giving a talk this Thursday in the Garden Centre okay. in Turlock at, four, at uh, 11 o'clock on the 4th of October, 11am to 12 and then the Honey Show will be on on the 13th of October. Great. So, uh, I suppose with weather changing a little bit, what are we well, one of the things, gardening wise at the well, moment? Well, there's then? so much to be done in the garden and I, like we were saying last year, I think this time of year is an opportunity to kind of tidy up the garden and not that you're putting the garden to bed but you're really preparing for next year. But in particular with the frost coming that tad early, I think people should focus on particularly tender plants, things like geraniums and fuchsias and the marguerites. If you've got those in your garden, they're not going to last forever. The couple of heavy nights frost were promised next week could see them off. So my advice really if this weekend if you're free go out and start taking some cuttings from those plants. So any tender plants that you want to protect and have for next year now is the time to take cuttings and indeed it's the time to take cuttings of all plants be it shrubs or hydrangeas or roses or any plant that you like to propagate and have for next year. This is a really really good time of year and it's quite simple you just take the cuttings pencil lengths pencil thickness, mm-hmm. strip off the leaves, flowers and flower buds, dip them into a little bit of rooting powder, insert them into a, a nice gritty compost in a pot, cover with a, a polythene bag, sit them on your windowsill and hey presto, within four or five weeks you've got yourself some, some new free plants. But particularly for tender plants, don't be leaving it too late because the frost will see them off in the next couple of, one or two nights of hard frost is going to see our geraniums yes. and our fuchsias and yeah. so on. Um, they're still flowering, they're still doing really well but, but now is the time to actually start uh, taking the cuttings of plants. I think it's a good reminder. Hyacinths, you know the beautiful hyacinths, yes, the indeed. scented hyacinths yep. 
for Christmas, you need to be potting those up now. So time is moving on. So as we come into early October, if you want some scent for colour, and I always think they make a great gift at Christmas time, a beautiful pot of scented hyacinths. And they're so easy to grow. You simply just get the bulbs, generally three or five bulbs, put them into a, a good quality compost, into a maybe a five or six inch pot, firm them in well, water them and leave them outside for about four weeks or anywhere under a hedge or under a bush or anywhere at all outside to let the cold weather they need the frosty weather that we're getting at the moment to initiate the roots and uh, about the end of October then you simply bring them inside into a warm bright location and they come into flower then during December and Christmas and they fill the room with scent. Yes, they are. They, they are beautiful. And the bit of colour as well. It's They're coming colour. a whole a range of different colours. And yeah. we don't get a whole lot of colour. Yeah, I always do a pot myself of maybe 10 or 12 bulbs and have them at Christmas time outside on the patio. So as people come into the house, they're sitting there on the on the step and they're, they're absolutely lovely and they're a real sign of spring yet it's it's December and there's a beautiful scent from the plant and you can grow them outside or inside but this time of year it's about forcing them fooling them into thinking it's we're coming through winter and spring and getting them into flower early you mentioned there when you're putting them outside um, that you you just mentioned I suppose a slight some shady areas should do should they be in a shady area it, it, no, it, or does it matter if they're exposed it doesn't it, they can be out in the open they, what they really need is the cold frosty weather they've got to be fooled into thinking that they've come through the winter so okay, the so bulb the initiates roots if you dug up a daffodil at this time of year it's actually full of white roots at the moment because it the, the, the soil temperatures have cooled down the daffodil bulb knows it needs to start to grow so the growth period for most bulbs has started already because of the cooling effect of the soil so the same thing applies with hyacinths or paper whites if they get that chilling effect being left outside in the rain in the misery I put them in, generally took them in under a, a hedge just so they won't be knocked no. about and the dog won't run into them or whatever they won't be driven over so it's really just somewhere you could even if you had a cold glass house or a cold tunnel mm. you could leave them there as well for, for four to five weeks just until such time as they initiate their roots and once they've rooted well then you bring them back into the heat of the house that, that uh, uh, kind of resembles springtime and obviously they come into flower and they're beautiful for Christmas. So they should be potted up now. A great project to do with children in particular because they are so easy to grow and within six or eight weeks they'll, they'll see the growth happening and the plants coming into flower. Paper whites are the other. Um, it's a variety of narcissi that suits forcing as well. But indeed all bulbs, Deirdre, can be actually potted up at this time of year. The tulips and daffodils and snowdrops and if you want you can have them in pots, leave them outside for several weeks, bring them indoors and then fool them into thinking it's yes. springtime as well. So this is the time of year for planting bulbs bulbs but particularly if you want bulbs for Christmas time. House plants we probably don't touch on, on quite uh, a lot but this is the time of year again for house plants in the garden because the, the light levels are beginning to reduce because temperatures getting a little bit colder you need to bring that house plants into an area that they're not in a draft so somewhere maybe if they're out in a patio or out in a, an open area this is the time to start bringing them back into the, the house and start to cut back on the watering and the feeding so we stop feeding house plants at this time of year right. and there's no need to repot them until the springtime if you want you could top dress them you could take off some of the old compost at the very top and just put a fresh layer but apart from that you also cut back on the watering so house plants really at this time of year should be watered no more than about every three to four weeks so a about once a month. month and ebb on the side of underwatering and particularly plants like the mother-in-law's tongue or the money plant or any of the um, cacti type plant or succulent plants yeah. they may require watering once every six weeks so cut back on the watering now on house plants and, uh, and it's a great time to get a few house plants as well for the home because they're they're giving off oxygen right through the winter period they're taking in our car- carbon dioxide and uh, they're 
just fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of houselands. I just love a little bit of greenery around Isn't on it? the inside. Yeah, yeah. particularly in Europe. I mean, when I first It's went, a very European thing. We're not quite so good at it we're here, not. I think. We're very, very yeah. poor at it. I, I went, when I went to Holland many, many years ago, mm. that was what struck me, that in the homes, they used houseplants like cut flowers. So they'll have them for maybe several weeks and then they'll chuck them out and they'll mm. get a fresh one. <laughs> and, and they're just into that whole thing of dressing their homes with, with plants. plants in particular and um, particularly if you go for easy to care for plants like the money tree is a really really simple plant to grow so simple to grow they call it the lucky plant as well because it's supposed to be lucky you're supposed to have money when it's in flower <laughs> but um, it's a really super easy really easy plant to grow and lasts for many many years as does the mother-in-law's tongue as do many of these succulent plants they're super easy and the cacti family um, are really uh, easy to grow um, so they're good starter plants but most house plants are relatively easy and to be honest we kill them with kindness yeah it's too over much. too much watering too much repotting too much feeding and the plant can't can't tolerate that and yeah. just keels over and dies so uh, cut back certainly on the watering of house plants and um, and the feeding stop the feeding now till next spring it's also the time for sowing sweet pea so if you're fond of sweet peas my advice is to sow them now you were talking about temperatures of 12 to 14 yep, degrees they anyway. nearly germinate outside but I would set, put them into a little seed tray now cover them with a bit of cling film and get them started and above it's also the time of year for sowing wildflower seed so if you want some wildflowers in your garden for next spring and summer along with the spring flowering bulbs this is the time to sow them so things like the cornflowers and things like the lovely poppies they give fantastic colour, Californian poppies. They can be sown directly out of seed. And finally, it's the time to start planting fruit. So lots of people will be harvesting their fruit at the moment, but it's also the time for planting fruit trees like fig trees, blueberries, apples, pears, plums, you name it. They can all go into the ground at this time of year. And autumn planting in general is a really good time. And, and to be honest, the, the weather conditions, I couldn't write a better prescription for planting at the moment because right. the soil conditions are just superb the temperatures are ideal it's really good planting weather so whether it be it fruit trees or, or ordinary trees or uh, hedging or whatever it's, it's still time to plant right. and don't forget the lawn continue to mow the grass um, start your compost heap now we'll be cutting the grass for another three to four weeks so keep it controlled keep an eye on the moss control as well do put on the zero give the lawn a feed as well because that's going to keep the colour in it um, and remember last week I was chatting about uh, I treated my own tarmac and, and patio area with, with the pack, pack mm. and it's it's no moss. No moss. So I would do that if in, in your garden, if you've got moss beginning to creep back, now is the time to control it, both on hard surface areas and particularly in the lawn area. Okay. So it's very much that type of gardening at the moment, that kind of planting up, um, preparing for, for next First season. season. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, plan, and using the good plan, weather. Yeah, use it and plan ahead a little bit. And, yeah. yeah. Rather than... And get on top of the weeds and, you know, maybe start tidying back some of the shrubs as well. Use the, the good weather to kind of get that garden. So it's not a big issue then next spring yeah. as we I was watching Monty Don last night on, on Gardener's World just tuned in to okay. see what he was at <laughs> <coughs> and he was dividing plants he was actually uh, kind of propagating plants he had, had little um, small herbaceous plants that yes. he had taken from runners potted them up a couple of weeks ago and he was very much into the whole planting the autumn planting scene Season. planting yeah. the balls planting new plants for next year and kind of getting his garden ready for uh, putting plants down because remember that if you put a, a tree into the gar into the short garden now it continues to grow through the winter the roots are continually growing all winter long and that's the benefit of autumn planting so if you put a tree into your garden today but it's growing more slowly is that well there's no there's obviously no uh, stem growth yes. and leaf growth 
but the but roots so are initiating yeah because the, the soil temperature really doesn't vary a whole lot between summer and autumn and winter I mean there's, there might be a, you know 5 degrees or 6 degrees mm. but it's not the big variation in air temperatures so the roots are always growing through the winter period so if you put a, a tree or a shrub or a hedge into the garden in the autumn it's fully established by the time we come into the growing season in March and April and I suppose because it's not producing leaf growth um, or growth above ground all of its energy is being concentrated very good so exactly yeah. exactly so it, it really does establish its, itself very well so that's why I would be a big advocate of planting in the autumn okay so very timely and seasonal with the frost setting in should I wrap my tree fern up now or just cover on the cold nights uh, this is a kind of a double-sided question uh, and I also would like to redesign a flower bed of perennials can I do that now most of them are already cut back okay well it's an excellent and it's actually one of the things where you have herbaceous plants in the garden a great tip is to take photographs on a regular basis during the summer months because they all look the same in the winter great tip they all die back and you're Hard looking to at remember what where they was like. the hosta, where mm. was the rubecchia, where was this, Brilliant. where was that, yeah. right? So it's always a good idea during the summer, take some photographs and then that's a great way to help you redesign and move plants. But look, this is a great time for not only redesigning uh, the beds, but digging up clumps that you have, splitting them and dividing them and putting them into new areas. So things like hostas, astilbes, rubecchia, all of those herbaceous perennial plants um, and by that we mean these are old cottage garden plants that come back year after year the one that you don't divide are peony roses you leave those alone because if you disturb them they'll stop flowering but everything else can really be cut back dug up split into two or three pieces and spread into new areas so it's an excellent time for transplanting and redesigning as the listener says the herbaceous border and most of many of the plants will probably be still in flower or there'll be some remnants of flower on them if they're not fully cut back so an excellent time to redesign but that little tip of taking some pictures is a good idea the other thing in herbaceous borders or cottage garden borders it's always a great idea to add some bulbs at this time of year because many of the cottage garden plants flower from May, June right through to autumn but they, they kind of miss the spring period so it's nice to have clumps of daffodils or tulips or um, you know uh, snowdrops or bluebells mm. or whatever to flower from January right through and when they're dying back the cottage garden plants hide them because the foliage of the new hosta kind of covers over the dying back of the daffodil. So it's a great companion planting and both work really, really oh, yeah, well together yeah. and they extend the period of colour. So when your daffodil is going out of flower at the end of April or May, your the hosta are, yeah. or the peen rose or whatever it may be is coming up and it's covering that, the, the so dying it doesn't, foliage. So it doesn't look so sad. It doesn't, but, but yeah. you've got lots of colour then in the springtime and, and it's a great combination. It's At this time of year, we plant all the bulbs. In terms of the tree fern, they're still very green at the moment. They're mm-hmm. still... Very, they're nearly actively growing at the moment so I wouldn't cover it just yet the, the covering of tree ferns is normally done about the first week of November when we're really into the colder period so tree ferns because they're elevated they're not going to be affected by ground frost the frost we're getting it during the night at the moment is predominantly grass frost or ground frost so it's kind of a, you know within a foot of soil level so plants within that level like the geraniums I mentioned but if you've got plants that are taller with tree ferns will generally be four, five, six feet in height their fronds so are going to be it's not rising up to that height it's not the frost, oh, yeah. frost is heavy. Of course, warm so, air rises. So, exactly. Yeah. So the colder air it settles, and that's yeah. why your your grass is 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 white, or your car could, is white in the morning. But but for tree ferns, they'll be perfectly fine. So I would leave those 
well enough at the loan at the moment for another f- three to four weeks and at that time once the fronds are beginning to go yellow you can cut them back and then wrap a bit of heshing around the tree fern and it'll be perfectly fine and they do they can tolerate several degrees of frost it's only the really really cold winters that we have to worry about them we have a fairly mild temperate climate here in the west so Mo- we, most yeah, of the time anyway so, so tree ferns do really really well there's some beautiful examples of them actually in the Turlock Park and the Museum of Country Life as people walk through the little woodland area there's some beautiful tree ferns that were planted probably 10 years ago now and they're really maturing nicely and uh, they give you a great sense of what they look like yeah and I I love them there's a real sense of peace I think they're a very peaceful ah they're beautiful like give that whole woodland uh, effect yeah yeah uh, now, you touched on um, hostas and distilbays there, yeah. and, and a listener has clumps of very strong hostas and distilbays yeah. that were brilliant this summer but have got too big and wondering when can they split them into smaller clumps and can they move them to other areas of the yes, garden? Yes, you can. And this is the time. So, what I would do is literally dig them out of the soil, the whole clump, get a, he- a, a, a hedge clippers, trim back the foliage really, really tightly, and then get a sharp spade and literally just split them in pieces. So you want a clump about the size of a dinner plate. That's what you're aiming for. And that, So from a large hostel, you'll probably get six to eight clumps of that size and they can be spread into new areas yes. of the garden. So it's a really great time. Astilbes, hostas, rudbeckia, all of those perennial plants, once they've gone out of flower and you want to divide them, then now is a really good time. And the, the, it's... It's the, the the conditions are ideal as well. The, the soil isn't going to be mucky. It's going to be a very easy job to do, a really nice job to do on a day like today. Brilliant. Now, somebody is wondering if you could outline the steps to sowing a new lawn. So the situation here is that it's a new build. There's lots of weed at the moment. And somebody else kind of as an addendum to that is wondering about setting lawns now, even with a bit of ground frost. So there's absolutely no problem sowing. So the frost is going to do no damage uh, to the sowing of seed or to the germination of of grass. Uh, so autumn, again, is a, is, a, is an ideal time. October, the month of October is one of the busiest times for sowing new lawns. So again, the first, it's a simple process. It's a three-step process, really. The first thing is to eliminate any weeds that might be there. So kill off any broadleaf weeds. So use the Weed Free 360 to kill off uh, any young weeds that are there. That'll take about a week to work. You rake the soil, cultivate the soil, take out any stones and debris that might be there. Put in some preceding Fertilizer, so mm. a little bit of the Osmo, and then put on the lawn seed, and that can happen in the one day. Okay. And the, the grass will germinate within a seven to ten day, maybe fourteen day period at this time of year. Uh, but any f- night frost we have won't interfere with that. And by sowing your lawn in the autumn, you've got a superb lawn then as we come into spring of next year. Okay, so, so gra- grass seed will germinate generally at eight degrees to ten degrees, and we're talking about twelve to fourteen degrees at the moment. So it's perfect weather conditions for sowing new lawns or if you need to repatch an area or um, you know reseed a new area then this is the time of year to do it great now just after I pick the apples from the tree they go brown and rot would you have any idea why this might be it's down to the variety some varieties like uh, Beauty of Bath just don't store very well you need to use them straight away Um, they may have been left on the tree a little bit too long as well. I well, We were advocating three weeks ago to start ha- harvesting the first of the apples, particularly red apples. Um, they tend to go over very quickly. So, you know, my advice really is use them. So particularly soft, softer varieties of apples like Beauty of Bath, they need to be eaten, eaten on, you know, within a day or two of, of harvesting. Um, other varieties like James Grieve and Bramley Seedling and Grenadier, they store extremely well. So the stronger, more nuttier 
uh, firmer flesh varieties tend to store better. So okay. I suppose you just the, have to the use The crunchier the apple, the longer it's probably that's, going. That's a very good way of putting it. That's last. a very good way of putting it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And to maybe next year, for next year, harvest them that little bit earlier. So that you know, they'll be a little more firm. Yeah, and they, they won't be as ripe. And, yeah. and they can ripen kind of naturally Natural. indoors as well. Okay, yeah. great. Give them away. Give, Give them, them away. to family and friends because it's been a bountiful of crop Make this year. Pie yeah. or <laughs> chutney or, or yeah, exactly or freeze. Yeah, freeze or, the, or just even puree them and freeze exactly. it, and you'll have them then. And they'll store. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> what is the difference between a climbing and a rambling rose? What do you think? That's a great well, question. <laughs> um, I would have thought they were kind of the same, but obviously that. They that, are similar. That thought was incorrect. No, uh, no, no, no. So it's... climbing and rambling, Rose. Uh, okay, enlighten us. Okay, so so basically, I mean, obviously they're both roses and yes. they are similar in their habit in that they they tend to be very vigorous. They're ideal for covering structures like arches and, and walls and so on. Rambling roses, the stems tend to be a lot thinner and more numerous. So there's a very good variety called um, uh, Excelsa, which is a lovely sh- deep red uh, or the, another nice one called Dorothy Perkins, which is a bright pink. They're the old-fashioned rambling roses. So the stems are quite thin. They're less than the, you know, they're, they're kind of matchstick. Thickness of nearly. a biro or a yeah, pencil. A lot less. They're, they're, yeah, pencil thickness or less. Right. So they're down to nearly matchstick uh, thickness stems. And they tend to have smaller flowers, but more numerous flowers. And the rambling roses are generally more suitable for low arches, low walls, training out over a wall and th- those sort of situations okay. to allow it to ramble through an area. Through area. Climbing roses, generally the, the stems are far more, uh, they're, they're thicker, they're stronger and they're more suitable for tall walls, higher areas. So, you know, um, Dublin Bay, for example, is a really good strong variety. The, the, the stems are nearly the thickness of your thumb. Right. They'll grow eight to ten feet in height. The flowers tend to be larger but less numerous. So that's the basic difference between ramblers and climbing and roses. roses. Yeah. And, and ramblers, you tend to just let them off, let them scramble through shrubs or, or areas and let them ramble over areas and you do very little pruning with yeah. them. With the climber, it's a lot more structured. You're, you're training the stems up along a trellis. You're pruning out some of the old stems to keep them young. So there's a little bit more work to the climber. But the climber is more suitable where you want to cover a wall or a structure or the side of a building. You need something strong and that's going to hold itself up. Then... The climbers. So the rambling rose be a little, little are, are, are am I off the beaten track here? Uh, like the wild, what you call a, it, a like, wild rose? Like the old cottage garden wild, wild roses rose. that our, our parents will remember. The old, the Excels and Dorothy Perkins mm. are the typical old fashioned, uh, dainty bunches of flowers, small flowers, but loads of clusters of flower, um, bright green leaves and a kind of thin stem and they just ramble over old walls and... And could you plant them kind of together as companion plants or how do, that, how do they fare if out? If you wish you could, but generally they're planted separately right. because the climber nearly has a separate purpose in that it's, it's more to cover a wall, a, a big structure. Um, you know, it, so you, climbers will generally grow 8, 10, 12 feet in height. Ramblers kind of 5, 6, 7 feet in height as a general rule. So one is more for rambling over over, 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 low, over low low walls structures in through shrubs that kind of thing whereas the climber is, is generally for planted the, for, to co- for the larger structure correct, the arch correct. or Thick, whatever it exactly is. thicker stems stronger more vigorous okay, um, good but so yeah. never really thought about it before but now you know, that you mentioned rambling it, rector yeah. is another rambling really, rector. rector is a nice good one name. as well yeah good yeah name. yeah 
Um, now, somebody was, we're going to move to clematis from roses. Could I okay. put, what could I put on top of my shed to hold my clematis? I've tried sticky things. I'm okay. not sure what the sticky things are, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, they didn't last long. Yeah. So think about the <clears throat> the clematis. How does it grow? It grows by tendrils. So it has on its on the stem, it's got these special tendrils which feel for uh, a surface. So they're, they're, they're reaching out and feeling. And once they touch a branch or a wire or, mm. or a piece, piece of netting, they ramble and, and, and wrap in around the, the actual piece and it climbs from there on. So the, the, the clematis is all the time looking for something to clasp onto. So that can be another climber. So it could be an ivy or a climbing hydrangea or it could be a climbing, climbing rose. rose. And, and it will use the rose for support and literally wrap around it. Where there's nothing there, obviously, it's sliding on the... On it, the there's nothing for it to grab, to onto. grab onto. And the sticky tape just doesn't work. So what you need is ordinary cheap wire would work if you could spread that across the, the roof or a little bit of netting chicken wire netting or plastic netting just put that onto the roof and again the clematis will clasp onto that and off it will go. Okay. So anything at all that it can actually wrap itself around Just looking for a bit of an anchor. That's all it's looking for. So sticky tape or any of those kind of blue tack type things just won't work you need to have something physical there for it to wrap onto. So another climbing plant is, so we always recommend companion planting where you've got variegated ivies, put some clematis in because they'll work superbly together. A climbing hydrangea will work really well with clematis as well or netting wire, something physical that it can actually wrap itself around. And this is a great time in general for planting climbers. So if listeners do want to cover walls and structures, Mm. autumn is a super time. Same, Same for the same reason that we mentioned with the trees, the plants will start to establish themselves. They'll begin to root onto the walls and then in the spring they're ready to go. Shoot up. Yeah. Now, uh, can we ask for what shrubs and trees can I plant as a bee-friendly project for our primary school children who would like to plant some seeds and bulbs as well? Okay, so the first thing I'd recommend is to is to put that into your diary the day, uh, the 13th of October and come to Ballyhonus uh, into the GA Community Centre because they, there's going to be a specific category for children there. Um, and in my talk that I'll, I think I'm on for th- at three o'clock on the 13th, I'll be talking about all the plants you'll, you'll be able to grow for um, for for bee friendly mm. and, and for other beneficial insects like hoverflies how to bring those into the garden um, so that's something to put in the diary but to start now any of the kind of Basically, when you're looking for bees, you're looking for uncomplicated plants, very simple flowering plants. So what they don't like are things like peony roses or double flowering roses or big blousy dahlias because it's very difficult for the bee to get down to the pollen and the nectar and the flower. So you're looking for simple flowering plants. So things like crocuses work work really well in the bulbs, snowdrops. They love those. Um, Anything like cotoneaster, mountain ash, any of the fruiting plants is always a good choice. So things like pyracantha, mountain ash, malice, anything in the crab apple family, apples, anything in the fruiting family like blackcurrants, gooseberries, they love all of those. Um, simple flowers like the Californian poppy that we chatted about, um, anything single flowering, so single flowering marigolds would work really well. So there's a whole myriad of both bulbs, seeds and shrubs that can be planted this time of year mm. for for um, to bring bees into the garden, but think about single flowering. That's if you even just planted plants that bore single flowers, not double flowers, they'll attract bees. And try to have plants that flower at different times of the year. So the bulbs will flower in the springtime. You could have some of the shrubs that would flower spring, early summer. Some of the herbaceous border plants that we talked about, things like the um, rudbeckia, work really well. Alstroemerias. Um, 
hemerocallus, any of those cottage, old cottage gardens, single flowering plants work really well for bees and they come back year after year. Okay, why not double flowering? The reason for double flowering is Double, most double flowering plants, say a double flowering dahlia, yeah. they have been hybridised, they've been bred by the breeders so to no, look beautiful. But, <laughs> there's right? not, but there's nothing in there. There's very little pollen okay. and there's very little nectar. They're not designed. So hydrangea, for example, is a great example yeah. of a plant that doesn't produce pollen or nectar. A hydrangea is useless for the poor owl bee. Now, this is the mop head hydrangea. Okay. The hydrangea you have in your garden, yes. Annabelle, is perfect. That that does bear... <laughs> <laughs> but the ordinary... Glad I'm doing my bit for the bees. The, the ordinary common mop head uh, hydrangea is, is very poor yeah. at attracting bees. Pear trees are actually very poor. They're very poor uh, okay. because they flowers are early in the season. They're, so there are certain plants that are, are poor attractors because they don't have the pollen and they don't have the nectar to attract the bee. I mean, that's where he's coming from. He's not yes. coming for any other purpose. No, yeah. Uh, so you've so got to get plants. It's not about the pretty, yeah. about the pretty flower, it's what's there. Cotoneaster is probably one of the best plants. Cotoneaster horizontalis. It hums with the, with the sound of bees of it in the summertime and it flowers for quite a good period. But I'll be covering all of that in the talk or if people are around on Thursday, this Thursday, uh, the 4th of October, I'll be covering bees in my autumnal talk uh, in the garden centre in Turlock. So, and I'll have a handout as well that people can take away. Lovely. Um, but oh. there's, a, there's a myriad of plants that can be used. Okay, well, best of luck with that. Trees. You might let us know how you the, get on further the, down the line. They when, say that yeah. three, three or four trees in your garden equals an acre of wildflowers in terms of bee pollination. And you might remember I, I was chatting to you about the, the time I went to the Oris to see Michael D's yes. uh, bees. They had lime trees in flower, which were literally within 30 feet of the beehive. Yes. So the bees literally only had to move 30 Boys feet up. up and, and down, back, back down, down again, up and down, that the supers filled in, 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 in a record time. So trees are, are hugely beneficial for bees as well. Lime trees in particular, uh, mountain ash, uh, any of those liquid amber. There's lots of trees that are good for bees. Okay, weeds are prevalent and liverworth particularly hmm. uh, that grows on pathways. It is a weed, is it a weed, is it a plant? Well, or what is, is it? a weed at the end of the day, you know? It's what? it's it's a plant. It's a flower in the wrong. It's plant in the wrong plant spot. Plant in the lo- wrong location. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the poor old liverwort. Yeah. Well, liverwort is is very similar to. Uh, it's, it's, a, an it's, a, it's an algae. It's, it's an algae. It's an algae. Because it's, it's very moist. Yeah, it? yeah, it is. And and you'd often see it sometimes when you buy shrubs. The the liverwort is actually growing on the top of the, on the the the, the pot. So because it likes peat, it likes moisture. Um, it'll grow. I mean, liverwort in your garden. It is it is advisable to treat it because it can spread. Um, and particularly with our wet winters, it, it loves that. Mm-hmm. It'll grow on soil, it'll grow on gravel. Um, so how do you get rid of it? You use the um, pack treatment, the treatment I mentioned oh, for the works. moss. Yeah, that will control liverworth as well. Um, so mix it in water, apply the pack onto the liverworth and that should see it off within seven or eight days. Now, it, it, it's easy to, to hoe it as well. And a day like today where you've got a bit of sunshine to dry it up, uh, if you hoe it, off the soil or off the gravel because it's very, very shallow rooting mm. and that will help to get rid of it as well. But um, you can also use the pack treatment, particularly the fact that it's on pathways, isn't it, on driveways was, in this yeah. instance. Yeah, yeah. Now, what's the best time to cut back white thorn uh, trees? Uh, I'd l- like to cut them down to five foot to reshoot. Yeah, and they will. There's no problem cutting back white thorn. You can do two things here. You can either cut the actual, I presume the hedge is six or eight or ten feet tall. So you can cut it right down to five feet and it reshoot then in the following spring. Mm-hmm. The other thing you can do is to, is to layer the branches. Um, and that means by rather than cutting the actual branch, uh, completely Mm. you cut into about 50% of the branch and then you bend it down and pin it into the hedge 
right? So you're actually cutting, you're wounding the, the branch. So say the branch is two inches thick, you get your saw, you cut into an inch, and then you bend the branch down. So you're leaving one part of the stem attached with its bark and its nutrition, and it continues to grow. But by pressing it down into the hedge, it reshoots again. It produces a whole series of reshoots around those, along those branches, and you you just trim that and keep it tidy. So you can you can do a bit of both if you wish. So the stronger branches can be literally just cut fifty percent into them and layered and pressed down into the hedge. Okay. Literally folded down into the centre of the hedge, and in the springtime that'll reshoot again. So whitethorn is one of these great plants that if it gets severe pruning, it responds mm-hmm. extremely well. So I would do a little bit of the layering and I'd do a little bit of the pruning as well, and just have it nice and tidy. And this is a super time to do that. The branches are still very flexible. Okay, great. I have a problem with leather jackets in Mm, the lawn. The birds are attacking and pulling clumps out in a large area. When I pull back the scraw in other areas, I can see more of them. What's the best way to get rid of them? So, like, unfortunately, like leather jackets, we, we I think we've done this every week, have we? Well, <laughs> I'm nearly, nearly leather jacked out. Teresa's nodding, yes. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Teresa has it in her garden as well. But uh, so, look, leather jackets, they're the, the larvae, the, car, the crane fly, the daddy long legs. And uh, when you see birds feeding in your lawn, it's a sure sign you have them. You'll also have yellow patches. What I did advocate was using the nematodes. Yeah. So there is a specific nematodes for lawn bugs and grubs. Um, so it's a, you mix it in a washing can and spray it on. Years ago, there were things like Trigger and some of the other um, pesticides that could be used, but they're no longer available. So really, it's back to that kind of natural treatment of um, the leather jacket, which is the use of the nematodes. OK, but the nematodes only work in certain temperatures. They do, and, and we're kind of slipping away from those temperatures. Yeah. That's why I was advocating back get, in September to, to do yeah, it. So get on the job yeah, straight away. Yeah, do it straight away. away. I mean, temperatures still of 12 to 14 degrees, it'll still work. But you know you need to do it in the next week or ten days. I mean, you get, and you'll get nematodes in the garden centre. You will. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have strawberries. They're growing in my garden again. No question. Just to tell us. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I can't imagine them fruiting, but but they're probably regrowing. There's probably lots of new growth, and the growth has been quite strong on plants and hedges and so on in the last couple of weeks. Because so that's great. That's you look. That's perfect. They're going to have a really strong plants for next year. Could my roses have got windburn? Asks Sean yes. and Chum. Yes, yes, all and particularly in Tume, as I came down through Tume, Tume is trees a, and shrubs are battered. So, if there any way, yes, I mean plants have got wind burnt this year. So, if you're seeing browning on plants, that's what it is. Okay, and somebody else has noticed that has recent frost damaged begonias, and what advice would Porrick give? Mine got damaged this time last year. So, well, yeah, bitten. begonias are still beautiful at the moment. Yeah. They're still in full flower. Um, so, it, I suppose it depends on your garden, and, and if you've got a little frost pocket in the garden, I mean, begonias will succumb to a night's frost or heavy frost. So, they're, they're those sort of plants that they can often flower to the end of October, depending on the weather, but they can also get snuffed at this time of year if we get some heavy frost. And that's really what I was advising, that tender plants either take some cuttings. With the begonias, I would just leave them alone, wait for the frost to really hammer them back. And once they're, they've uh, died back, lift the little bulb, lift the tuber um, and store that for the winter period with your begonias. So continue to enjoy them for another couple of weeks. I think you'll still get two weeks or three weeks out of them yet. I don't think the frost is heavy enough just now to, to uh, kind of cut them back completely. Okay. So enjoy them and then lift the bulb in a couple of weeks time and store it in a little bit of green sulphur dust that onto the bulb to to help to store it wrap it up in newspaper Can you sow fig tree outside? Yes you can and uh, where did I see a great example of a fig tree was up in Kylemore Abbey 
up in mm. up in Connemara. Now that's that's a few years ago. They had a beautiful one in the in the walled garden. The interesting thing with fig trees, you, a, first of all, you can grow them as a climbing plant, so they suit if you have a nice south facing wall or west facing wall, mm. sheltered wall. That's the perfect. Uh, place to plant them. They're totally fro- frost hardy out of doors so the, the winters that we have don't really affect them but they t- it takes two years for the fruit to ripen. Okay. So what happens in year one when the, the little fruit embryos are actually on the plant. So if you look at your if you have a fig tree or you look at a fig tree you'll tend to have ripe fruit and young embryo fruit that will ripen this time next year. Oh. So it takes kind of a two, two years. Year cycle. Yeah, for the, but you'll always have mature fruit and young embryo fruit So you'll on have the a mix tree. of both, so not yeah. to be picking the young embryo Correct. fruit. Is that yeah. the, so is, well, yeah. you won't anyway because they're tiny. They'll only be about two inches long. Um, so really great plant to grow and, and it's quite an attractive plant as well against a wall. So it looks really well, the fig tree. Um, now, I pruned my apple trees. When can I spray them? What can I spray them with, rather? And um, would you recommend a good feed for my apples? They had brown spots. Yeah, that's a little year. bit of apple scab, which is only um, it's only aesthetic. It's only superficial onto the skin. The, 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 the apples are still totally edible. They don't tend to store very well, but they're perfectly fine to eat. So don't be throwing them out, any kind of little brown marks on them. Um, in terms of feeding them, I would put some sulphate of potash on them now. That'll help to strengthen them for na- next year. All fruiting plants will benefit from addressing a potash. And then once the leaves fall in a couple of weeks' time, apply the winter wash. So it's a winter, a special wash that's put on to fruit trees once you've pruned them. And that helps to cleanse them and take off the bugs and so on for the winter period. And that can be used on roses as well and general plants that suffer from pests. If you put the winter wash on, it uh, it stops that being a problem next year. I have purple cannas in pots. Yeah. How should I care for them? They're the canna lilies, which are a beautiful plant. Um, they grow like a lily. They have some of the varieties, loads of different varieties and loads of different colours. They are frost sensitive. So you need to take them in for the winter. Now, you can still enjoy them. If they're in pots, I would give them another week or two outside. But then once we get into winter, bring them into a tunneled greenhouse, somewhere frost uh, protect us. Put a bit of fleece on them over the winter period and keep them quite dry. Um, Plants that are heavily watered are more susceptible to frost. So keep them dry, keep them in a frost-free location, a a greenhouse, a tunnel. Wrap them in some, um, what's the word, the fleece. The, 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 the special fleece, fleece, the garden fleece, yeah, wrap that around them and protect them. But do keep them frost free because uh, they are susceptible to frosts and they will come back year after year if, yes. you, if you look after them. If you look after yeah, them. Yeah, uh, When is a good time to prune hard a purple beech tree? Well, you can prune it. I mean, they're still in leaf at the moment, so I would wait until it, it uh, goes out of leaf. If it's a mature beech, leave it till maybe the middle of November and you can prune it back then. There's no problem. They do respond to pruning quite well. You could put a little bit of the uh, prune and seal wax onto the cut surfaces just to stop any disease getting in. But beech respond to pruning quite well. And I would, again, as I say, leave it for another couple of weeks. It's just, you could do it now, but it'll, it'll, the job will be a lot easier when the tree is naked. So leave it for a month. When is the right time to set whitethorn and how do you keep rabbits away? Okay, so the time to plant whitethorn is once they're deciduous, so once they're dormant, which will be the middle of November. Now, if you if the area, if you're planting a hedge of it, my advice is to treat that area now. So get a little bit of the weed-free 360, spray the area, that'll kill off any vegetation, any weeds that are there, leaving the soil ready for planting then in November because the weed-free 360 won't contaminate the soil. So... Do that now, particularly in, in dry weather. And if people are putting in hedges in general, that's a, that's a very good tip to do today if you can. And then the white thorn will be available middle of November. The way to keep the rabbits off them is either to net them yes. or spray the trees with 
Grazers. Grazers, yeah, which is a special compound that helps to keep hares and rabbits and deer and those munching, um, uh, not other pests, well, wildlife. Well, Some <laughs> people would call rabbits vermin, I suppose. Yeah, I don't so know. It depends w- on what the di- kind of damage they Well, do. particularly if you're planting, yeah. uh, planting a lot yeah. of uh, white thorns. So you can spray the trees with grazers and they dislike the taste of that or else fence them out. That's the only way to keep them. Okay, is it too early to move established shrubs? Evergreen shrubs can be moved at this time of year. So you have things like fortini or camellias or hebes or any evergreen plants. Now conifers, for example. Make sure that you sever the roots, go round the outside of the, the shrub with a sharp spade and sever the roots, leaving a good big root ball as possible and then lift them and transplant them all in the one go. So evergreen plants, move them now. Mm-hmm. Deciduous those that drop their leaves, leave them until they drop their leaves in November. Now, somebody's wondering about any advice on growing wheatgrass and how does it compare with barley grass from a nutritional point of view? <laughs> well, we're not nutritionists on this programme. As well, I said, I, I just pushed the buttons here. So, but, uh, so wheatgrass is really, really easy to grow. I mean, you yeah. can buy the wheatgrass seed. I mean, you, you buy it in, your, in the local uh, health food stores yes. and, you know, it's such an easy crop. So it, all it is is, is wheat. It's the, the seed. It has a quick turnaround, I think, doesn't it? Very very fast, yeah, very fast. growing turnaround. Yeah, so all you do is get yourself a little container, put some tissue paper yeah. into the container, put some water, put the wheatgrass seeds onto it, cover with a bit of cling film. Within seven days, they'll have germinated. And certainly within seven days after that, the wheatgrass is ready for cutting. And what you're doing is literally cutting the foliage of the young wheatgrass. You're mulching it or you're, uh, what do they call it, dicing it up and using it. Juicing it. Juicing it. <laughs> Juicing it is the word. Um, and using the... the uh, uh, using the juice, obviously. Yeah. Um, huge health benefits, full of potassium, yeah. full of fibre, um, full of vitamin A and C. So it's it's very popular, wheatgrass. But how it compares in nutritional yeah. values to, to barley, barley grass, grass, I don't know. I'd say they're probably not can, terribly dissimilar. I can imagine they're exactly yeah. the same, to be yeah. quite... Better than a packet of crisps. Absolutely. Yeah. But wheatgrass is available, very, very easy to grow, and um, you can grow it in compost as well. Sit it on a windowsill and get your scissors out every couple of weeks and keep it trimmed okay. and juice it. Very, very, <clears> very quickly, because uh, we're time is against us. I have a laurel hedge, gave it a feed in early spring of Pro 6. Should I give it another feed for the winter? It's planted two years. No. But what you should do is tidy it back, trim the top of it, trim the sides of it, and next spring give it another dressing of Pro 6 um, in, in April and it'll be perfectly fine. Just to remind people, yep. this Thursday, 11 o'clock in our garden centre in, Thurlo- in Turlock, uh, October 4th, I'll be giving a talk at 11 o'clock about autumn gardening. I'll answer all your questions as well and we'll also be featuring some of the bees. And remember, the Gardenia Robotic Moor demo is not on this weekend. It's actually going to be on the 13th and 14th of October and I'll have a special giveaway next week. Okay, so be sure to tune in for that <laughs> and do. lots more besides. Yeah. Pork, thanks very much thanks, indeed. Not at all. That's it from us for this morning. I'm back again next Saturday, just after seven. Stand by Michael Neary, coming your way with Country Classics, uh, after the news with Angelina Nugent. Coming your way after these for the moment. Good morning to you.